0: hi this is ben bova i've written a lot of science fiction and i think that i've devoted my life to trying to understand the opportunities and the dangers of the future and if you listen to sci-fi saturday night you'll begin to understand a lot of that too
1: we were beginning
0: a in mass invasion Tell your people to surrender now, and avoid war.
2: Don't think you get me so easily!
0: It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's
3: your maker's duty to tell us the truth! Confess, confess that you will give you
0: witchcraft! You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. bye Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. It's TalkCast 177, and there's nobody here but us chickens tonight. In space. <laughs> Deep in Area 51, on the sub-level I-405, past the Slauson Cutoff, behind the Book-Burning Pavilion for alternate heating and energy. I am next to the fried green tomato body wrap in Frogerd Hut. I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are some of our usual suspects. Some of us, however, are hugging porcelain, and we wish them well. In the Revere Time Vortex violent soundboard vixen chief architect of all that is technical queen of unstable petroleum byproducts, it's Kriana.
2: So, Frogurt Is that is that frozen frog yogurt?
0: Yes, that's exactly what it okay, is. Okay,
2: just
3: clarifying.
0: Not a problem. From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the Dank Dungeon reading room, keeping cool, calm, and collected, she's got books. She knows how to use them. It's the Sombrarian. Clock. (laughs)
3: What? (laughs) I think she said... chicken.
0: Oh, thank God she said clock. Okay, good. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's not what it sounded like.
0: (laughs) No, it's not at all, but we're moving on. Not a problem. Our guest tonight, uh, perennial favorite and incredibly cool writer and and friend of the show, Tracy Hickman. Tracy, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'd like to talk like John Carradine. Okay. Whatever. I thought you were going
2: to call him sexy for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I really
1: did. I think John Carradine adds class to every movie he's in. Totally.
0: And joining him is his partner for a new project, a gentleman uh, who's got an incredible background, and an incredible foreground And I have no idea what that means Richard Garriott, Richard welcome Stop to the talking.
4: show Oh it's a great pleasure to be here Boy I'm sure not sure what I've gotten myself into Based on these introductions But that's, I can tell it's going to be a fun ride
0: Well that's going to be interesting I'll grant you that You should always listen to a show before you go on it this is just a... <laughs>
2: Gotcha
1: Hey listen if anybody knows a fun ride It's Richard Garriott. Where have you been Richard? <laughs>
4: Oh, uh, let's see. It's about as far down as you can go, about as far up as you can go, and north and south as well.
0: Awesome. We're going to talk about that because we've got uh, a short show tonight for, uh, well, a short first half of the show. The first half of the show is only going to be a quarter of the show. The second half of the show is going to be three quarters, which doesn't make any sense at so all. why don't we We're just do it? Uh, it's April Fool's Week this week And because it's April Fool's Week uh, One of the things that we usually talk about during April Fool's Week Is the worst, best, stupidest, most ridiculous April Fool's joke That anybody caught on the web My personal favorite this week Actually I have two of them uh, The first one is my, my favorite producer in the universe J.J. Abrams <laughs> Is now developing a Star Wars slash Star Trek animated crossover series uh, Thank God that was a fake and the other one that I really enjoyed was the Swedish archaeologist who found Thor's hammer with pictures and it was it was a wonderful wonderful uh, post on the internet sombrarian
3: uh... my favorite is the announcement youtube release that they have they're finished uh, receiving submissions for best internet video of all time uh... that's what the uh, According to this, that's what the website existed for, and they're done, and they will now begin the process of choosing the best ever internet video, so if you waited to post yours, sorry, you've been beat by Gangnam Style, basically. (laughs) Or Grumpy Cat. Or Grumpy Cat, who's the most awesome being on the planet.
2: Obviously.
3: Her name is Tartar Sauce. Oh my god. She likes Starbucks coffee cake. I love. I know too much about this.
0: Yes, you do. Moving on.
3: A cute cat.
0: No, it isn't. That's <laughs> all right.
2: What's wrong with Brianna? cats? Oh, sorry. Nothing. My, my thing is that two DJs update were fired for causing a panic by warning people that dihydrogen monoxide was streaming out of their taps. I don't know about everyone else, but the first time I heard dihydrogen monoxide, I think I was in junior high, maybe earlier than that. Seriously, guys? Seriously?
0: Yeah, for those of you who are uh, uh, science-deprived... Chemically challenged?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, dihydrogen monoxide is uh, water. Yeah. Oh, and the DJs were fired from a radio station in Florida. That should sell you a lot about why they were fired.
4: Oh, and so I'm now just getting part of that joke, which is the joke was the uh, was not them being fired for it, but they literally were making that joke, and they truly got fired, which I think is oh, astounding. Yeah. Astounding. It, well,
1: but it's Florida. I mean, that kind of <laughs> says it all. Um, hey, my favorite one this week. Yes was uh, uh, from Atlassian uh, the guys that do hip chat hmm and they had and and they came out with a video about a new feature for their hip chat which was um, uh correct which was uh, that when you typed in your chat whatever long English complicated text you put in it would immediately reduce it to emote icons uh, and and, and it was wonderful because they would type in these huge, complex concepts, and then it would immediately be reduced to the absolute minimum of graphic uh, on in the chat. Uh, well, it, it was, was completely. It was
0: bumps up Rebecca Black,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and consequently, you, you know, you might be trying to nuance something to your boss, and it would come out as something completely ridiculous and undecipherable. And uh, they said, "Can?" And they said, "Can you turn it off?" Well, no, you can't. Who would want to? So, I, I, I just, I just love this idea of taking, taking the beauty of our language and reducing it to a thumbs up. Uh, it, I thought that was a wonderful April Fool.
0: Uh, well, the other thing that's gone on this week uh, is all, we lost a lot of very interesting people this week. People that normally. Uh, we would spend a lot of time talking about and we're not going to and we probably should Um, where do you want to start Kriana Uh, at the top oh okay you want to start there okay Jane Henson died this week born in 1934 uh, of complications from cancer Uh, the wife of Jim Henson who kept the Henson foundation and Henson Studios alive after his death, along with their children. Uh, It's hard to downplay the role that the Hensons had in entertainment and in uh, movies, television, that kind of stuff. She will be very much missed.
2: Have you gotten your pontificate
0: out now, Dome? No, but go on. Your turn. All
2: right, well second death we have this week is Don Payne, writer of both Thor movies, which I thoroughly enjoyed, at least the first one. Obviously, the second one's not out yet. He also wrote for The Simpsons, among other things.
0: Uh, Comic legend Carmine Infantino died this week. He uh, reimagined Batman for DC, was co-creator of one of Kriana's favorites, The Human Target. And was also an editor uh, uh, for Marvel's Star Wars series as well. So he's been around for an awful long time as well.
2: That's probably the only part of the Star Wars universe that's not getting executed.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Because the other thing that died this week was Disney. Well, LucasArts died because Disney shut it down. Oh, come on. Can we get
2: through the real deaths before we do that?
0: Well, I just thought that there was a tie in there that I could have used.
2: Kind of, not really, though. But come on, Roger Ebert.
0: Yeah, film critic for the Chicago Sun-Times. And probably one of the best uh, film uh, critics and pontificators of film around. Uh, I remember from the days of uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert at the movies, uh
4: yeah me too that was a huge favorite of, that, of mine
0: yeah growing up you know you, you would sit there and listen to these two argue about it and then realize that uh, Roger Ebert wrote Valley of the Dolls the movie <laughs> and just kind of go okay you could be a great great critic and still not do Valley of the Dolls but whatever uh, Robert we, we will miss Roger Ebert very much yeah.
2: he's at the big Valley of the Dolls in the sky now
0: he is. He absolutely is.
2: Now you can go for LucasArts.
0: Can I? Yeah. Okay. I do, yeah. So Disney decided that uh, LucasArts wasn't really viable and did not fit in with their new fiscal and uh, business structure and basically just shut them down.
2: Not basically. Literally. Literally. Everyone is out of a job. I wish we were looking yeah. for game designers right now because damn.
4: Hey. I know someone who is. No, I, I'm saying I'm saying we're no. My my
2: company that I work for in real life, we, we hired a game designer, so now we don't need any more. But if we did, I would. If, if totally... anybody
0: needs game designers, the entire staff of LucasArts is now looking for work. That's And obviously,
4: they've done uh, you know they've obviously done some great, great, uh, innovative products. And one of the things about Lucas Arts is, um, you know, if you look at the uh, you know, different teams, different companies often have uh, uh, different styles of games they produce that they're brilliant at and kind of really push the state of the art. and And Lucas Arts definitely had, you know, a, a fingerprint uh, on, you know, the, a, a palm print, a handprint, uh, footprints even all over uh, the vector of, of gaming that they uh, really shepherded for many, many years, decades. Really.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, there it was very some very innovative stuff that came out of that, as did most of everything that Lucas did. So, uh, you know, we could we could sit here and talk about Well, that, that
2: was depressing oh. fraggles.
0: Yeah, it was. <laughs> Speaking of depressing fraggles Kriana, our, what's well, our video I mean like? the
2: video video of the week this week is the supercut of every time the Fraggles are morbid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh. Yep. Yeah. It's it's actually a lot.
4: Yeah, you know, and it's really what funny, it until, I, until I read that, I didn't realize how true that really was, but man, they really always are. They're always, like, something's always really wrong.
2: Death and pestilence.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So we're going to we're gonna embed that into this week's uh, post, so that you all can just sit there and stare at it and be depressed along with Gobo, Moki, Wembley, Boober, and Red.
2: Mostly Boober and Wembley though
0: Mostly Boober and Wembley <laughs> Now normally this would be the halfway point in the show Because we're actually done with all the uh, News that we're going to deal with this week And it's it's actually a quarter of the way through the show So a quarter of the halfway point uh, In which we're going to bring in our guests Who we've been talking with Do you even
2: to- understand what you just to- said?
0: No,
1: I haven't got a freaking clue <laughs> okay. <and> It's fine <laughs> Uh, I think I heard that particular explanation on a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, it
2: was particularly wibbly-wobbly, and that sentence certainly got away from him.
1: Absolutely
3: did. News Um, done. Guests now.
2: (laughs) Fire, bad, tree, pretty.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about right.
0: Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I guess, or maybe a month or so ago, we were talking to Tracy about some new project that he had just kind of gotten involved with and he was really excited to talk about it and the project was Shroud of the Avatar and at that point Tracy said we should really talk about this on the show at some point and we went hey let's do that in order to do that we have to bring in the gentleman who's behind Shroud of the Avatar who's doing the work Yeah. Uh, Richard Garriott. Richard, welcome to the show.
4: Oh, thank you very, very much uh, for having me on. And uh, uh, of course, I'm only one uh, of the the, the tip of the spear, so to speak, on the team uh, building this project. There's a a whole uh, mess of us down here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Plus, uh, plus Tracy now, too, as our honored and revered uh, member of the team.
0: How did you guys meet? How did you guys get together?
4: <clears throat> well, that goes oh, back a long way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tracy, you want to go back? Was it a Gen Con the first time or Dragon Con the first time?
1: That was Dragon Con, I think, the first time, Richard. Um, when when both of us discovered our um, mutual regard for uh, Tom Plancy, <laughs> as I recall.
4: I, yes, in fact, I, I love the way you phrased that. It was very tactful. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, that was a, a very. It, it, it was one of those uh, I think one of the many reasons we liked each other or hung around to each other so much that same time was sort of like a uh, you know the military foxhole buddies you know when you're in the <laughs> trenches and and you know things are happening around you 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 you, you grab a hold and hang on to the same people nearby you as best you can so uh, mm-hmm. in any case uh, I know how that that's how I felt that week in addition yes. to my admiration in general for you
1: yeah forged forged in the crucible of Tom Clancy, as it were
4: yes it's,
1: exactly. <laughs> Yeah, actually, yes. I I I'd actually played Richard's games uh, before we'd met and had a huge admiration for his work, and um, uh, it was a real uh, delight for me not only to get to meet him as as we first did then at that Dragon Con uh, uh, so long ago, but um, but also to discover um, uh, a really interesting friendship and, and uh, that's that's lasted down through these down through these years.
4: And 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 on the flip side too, you know, of course, I was already well aware of you know Tracy's fine and amazing work, both uh, you know in in uh, within TSR D D worlds at large, and of course uh, uh, Dragonlance. I think was uh, just on its early part of its rise to uh, to power, uh, and uh, and so it was a you know, wonderful time to see uh, to, to get to know Tracy during that period too. And, and what I think is great about the relationship that Tracy and I have had uh, is. Uh, you know, for years and years and years, starting right, really right at the very beginning. Tracy quickly um, uh, invited me in to join him on some of the things he was doing with his uh, killer breakfasts and things that he does at all these conventions. Uh, and what a great time it was! I still have here on the wall in my office. I have framed uh, one of the first killer breakfast things I, I uh, did with you and Gary Gajax, uh who uh, uh, who uh, you know, played with us uh, one time there too. And yep. uh, uh, was just an just an amazing set of experiences, getting a chance to play at conventions with you. Um, and then uh, you know we've talked for years. We've talked about working together. We've shared ideas about things we were working on down through the years, looking for an opportunity. Uh, we we did a little bit of again still you know, not officially professional work together. Uh, you know with the uh, the the uh, Apogee of Fear movie we can talk about in a minute that uh, uh, that you wrote and I shot on my uh, space flight. Uh, mm-hmm. but then finally now with shroud of the avatar <clears throat> with my my new company uh, it was uh, uh, just the perfect opportunity to reach out uh, to Tracy to see if you'd be interested in joining us on this this crazy uh, journey and uh, uh, and at long last after almost 30 years we're really going to work together in a professional capacity so I'm super excited about it so well, you realize I'm, I'm...
0: You, just, you just dropped about five or six bombshells during that little soliloquy. <laughs> let's, let's start with, uh, you, you began uh, as a game designer in the, in the 80s. Yes. Uh, and your first games were designed, programmed for the Apple IIe.
4: Uh, well, Apple II Plus, or technically not even a Plus originally. Apple IIe was a advanced version. Come on, man, let's go back oh, to Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Roots. I apologize. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my first games were actually written on a teletype that would print on paper. My first uh, commercial product that I sold was on an Apple II just just Apple II, no, no plus, no E. Wow! Um, and uh, is arguably the first role-playing games on a computer at all. Um, that began something called the Ultima series, and so I wrote the Ultima series throughout the 80s and the 90s. Uh, it, uh, for many of its incarnations, uh, a number of a good number of uh, uh, bestsellers uh, down through that period. Uh, and the last of the Ultima series was called Ultima Online, which was the very first ever true massively multiplayer game and kind of opened up a whole new genre of which uh, even those people who don't remember Ultima Online, there's still a lot of people playing Worlds of Warcraft, one of my competitors that's now the biggest MMO out there. Uh, But I really uh, did the first game of that type. And uh, and now I've formed a, a new company, my newest company is called Portalarium. And uh, we're building what I consider the spiritual successor to my Ultima series. And uh, as we're getting that started up, I said, man, you know, I really need some story help. These, uh, they've really gotten a lot more sophisticated than they were in the the old days. Uh, The games can now actually take advantage of proper writing compared to the stick figure art I used to use and the, um, you know, poorly spelled but minimal text that we had in a game. And, And now that we really need and can support proper story, I, I needed the best talent I could find to see if I could convince somebody of true skill to join me in the storytelling effort, and that brought me right back to Tracy.
2: Go no further.
4: <laughs> well, I'll tell
1: you, and this actually has been a very serendipitous thing. I mean, it's 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 karmic, really, um, uh, because um, this, uh, this comes at a point in my life and in my uh, career cycle um, when, uh, when what I have learned down through the last thirty years about story and the structure of story and how story functions, um, uh, comes together with what Richard is doing uh, in, in at, at exactly the right time. I mean, um, uh, the technology has developed to the point now, um, and the, uh, uh, the 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 under the understanding of game and the understanding of story have all developed to the point now where we can do something that Richard's been dreaming of doing for quite some time. And he's been talking about the parameters of this game um, for some time. And I can remember uh, even in our early discussions, him talking about where he really wanted to take games and what he really wanted to do with games. And we've reached that point now where all of this has come together at, at, at exactly the right time. It's, it's, it's very karmic to me to see that 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 all of these pieces are coming together um, uh, at the same time in the same same place. Um, I wanted to work with Richard for years and we've never quite been able to find the right project that, uh, where all of these skills could come together at once and, and it's a, it's an absolute joy for me working on this.
0: Well, I mean you Obviously, you know, with all of uh, your gaming background as well, you, this is not something uh, form you're unused to
1: working in. Well, no, we've been telling stories in games, uh, of course, uh, since back in the 80s uh, in the Dragonlance time. And, and understood, came to understand in those days as pioneers, the relationship of story to game and, and what, what worked in game and what worked in story. And we developed in those days an entire set of tools for that uh, that had never been done before. And it's interesting that down over the resulting decades, most of those tools have been lost. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, the, an understanding of, of, of the, the matrix structure in game, for example, and, and how, it relates to, how it relates better to story. Story, uh, story has a flow to it. There's a, uh, I mean, perforce, story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and and there's an entire flow of structure that runs through that 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 moves the characters forward through the plot. Um, when uh, we talk about this to uh, to a certain extent in our uh, XDM book, in, in in very basic terms, um, when you look at story structure and and and. Richard is, is intimately familiar with game structure as well. You look at game structure; um, you can do the the linear structure, which is you're at A and that takes you to B and that takes you to C and there's no branching, there's no there's no real alternatives. All that all that that can happen is that we grab you by the nose and drag you from encounter to encounter, um, and a lot of computer games do that it's the easiest way for them to get through a plot because they don't have to deal with the branching structure. Now, if you drag people down a linear structure, that's, that makes it easy to tell a story, but it's not very satisfying for the gamer because they're just being dragged from place to place. Now, on the other hand, the other kind of matrix that you can design is where you start in the middle and then you can go anywhere and do anything, and that branches out radially. This this radial kind of structure, for example, um, in a game, is really great in terms of player choice because they can feel like they can do anything and go anywhere, and and that their choices are directly impacting the course of where they go in this. Except
2: uh, if it's Mass Effect 3.
1: Okay. Except.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was too good. It was too good. I couldn't just leave that
1: there. I just had to reach for it. Didn't
2: yeah, you? I did. Sorry.
1: So. You know that that open kind of structure is really great in terms of player choice but it's 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 lousy in terms of story because there's no direction there's no flow to the story there's no there's no motion through the concepts here you just kind of go wherever
4: and and And, and also if things just continually branch you have to write an infinite amount of content for for even though each player will only see one of the vectors through that content uh but, but I want to, I'd like to throw in something else there, Tracy, too, that, uh, that I think that we're at this very powerful moment, not only just to present, um, you know, uh, a, a narrative in a st- proper structural way, but the thing that you and I are working on that I'm so uh, excited about it at, at a whole other level is, you know, the fact that if you, if you, when you're reading a book or watching a movie where you're the observer, the main character goes through that classic Joseph Campbell's arc of starting, you know, uh, you know, ill-suited or ill-prepared to tackle the grand challenge, and they learn something about themselves, or they grow to recognize something in themselves uh, that that in fact shows that they are ready, they are capable, and even though they might be a little hobbits or they might be uh, in some other way, and you know, a little farmer on another planet, uh, you know, they might uh, they, they seem unworthy at some level, they in fact rise to the challenge and win the day, and and when you put a player in that. In that circumstance, most games just start to play out as being weak, and they become stronger and stronger. People min-max their way to becoming powerful, and then they win by defeating the bad guy. And that is yeah. a completely different, much more hollow, a hollow uh, journey of just getting tougher than actually realizing than, than kind of reflecting on yourself and to what you need to overcome. And and we're now, you know, the story that you and I are writing that I'm the part of it that I'm particularly excited and proud about is we're writing a story. Where the game will actually uh, provide you opportunity to first expose your weaknesses. I don't mean your weaknesses like I can't beat that orc. I mean your weaknesses like, are you really? Is there really a time where you would consider crossing the line into dishonesty? Is there really a time uh, where, in fact, I can I can prove that almost everyone is bigoted in some way with some preconceived things they've grown up with, even if you think you've risen above that as an adult? Uh, and so we're going to put the player into circumstances to really show them that all of us, including you, the player, are fallible. And because of that, you're at the moment not worthy of winning the game. And then we're going to allow you to go on a journey to prove yourself in a, in a way that is unique to you before you ultimately rise uh, and, and uh, win the day. So yeah, one of Richard's...
0: No, I'm sorry, so go ahead. You're basically taking that storytelling structure and that gaming structure and taking the best aspects of both, and kind of pushing aside the, the aspects of both that aren't going to work in this particular situation.
1: Yeah, yeah it becomes a personal journey is what, is, is what we're talking about. One of, one of Richard's basic tenets in, in, in terms of this game, and, and certainly in terms of Ultima as well, but, but a basic tenet of this game design is that the, the character that you play in the game is an extension of yourself, literally. That, that you are the person that's in the game, and that the journey that your avatar literally is making inside the game is your personal journey as well. And, and so, so the game has, the story that we're talking about designing here, the structure that we're talking about designing here in terms of story is, is a personal journey. It's not, it's not you making the guy in the game do things, this is this is you that's going through this
4: and yeah that's choices- a very good point tracy and uh, yeah and the way i often even say that too is that you're not role-playing conan the barbarian where because if you were role-playing a character conan the barbarian you should make conan act the way conan would act and so you know if conan's going around and killing villagers you shouldn't feel bad about it because you're conan at the moment uh, whereas we 're really trying to tell a story where you, the real person from Earth, have found a way to get into this w- virtual world uh you know and, and by the way, you know like in the movie Avatar, when you embody that avatar, you know the use of avatar in a game sense actually comes from Ultima Four Quest of the Avatar when I was starting down this path of saying, "I want this to be you in that character not you're not you 're not puppeteering an alter ego
0: and at the same time your your design is ultimately for a massive multiplayer online game which can also be played offline solo
4: yeah exactly right and um, uh... and by the way that takes an already incredibly difficult problem makes it much more difficult
0: i was going to say you know (laughs) they they work at cross-purposes there because one design needs one thing and the other one needs
4: quite different
0: parameters
4: yeah it's it's already hard enough to tell an interactive story in a solo player environment but 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 i did that from you know, Ultima 1 through Ultima 9. And then when we did Ultima Online, we had a great multiplayer environment, and we did not do a very good job telling stories in it. And so the challenge we wanted to take on in this game specifically was, how can we tell a really compelling story that allows you to not feel like your friends are racing across the same finish line running next to you in the same game, uh, and, uh, and and give you that same sense of, I am the victor, if I actually reach the end, uh, like you do in a solo player game again not seeing all your friends running across the same finish line and and so how to do that is uh, one of the biggest challenges but you know uh, Tracy and I are more than up to the challenge
2: Wow I feel like I should be inserting some bitterness at Blizzard at the moment but I just kind of feel empty inside just like Diablo 3 oh snap <laughs>
1: Well, part of what we're trying to do here is to provide not just a gaming experience, but a meta experience here, something that something that that is reflective and that is uh, uh, that takes us takes us beyond just playing a game, but um, in learning how to deal with one another and interact with one another and and take us not from who we are, but who we should be. Exactly.
2: All right, so I'm going to have to sure. ask you to stop being so awesome right now because I don't think I can even wait another 62 hours for this game, but I feel like I have much longer than that.
4: Yeah, I'm afraid you do. We, we can let you in on the prototype, but it's not that much fun yet.
2: I don't care. I played Glitch. Did I not mention that? <laughs> that wasn't fun at all, but it was adorable, so I didn't care.
0: Now, from, from a purely technical standpoint. Shroud of the Avatar is planned to be PC, Mac, Mac, and Linux compatible.
4: Initially, those are the three, and that's and and frankly, that list is there because that's what our cross compiler support trivially. So we can, uh, you know, it's not much harder than changing a few environment variables and recompiling. Oh, okay. Uh, I, and, I would have and, thought
0: that would be more difficult than it sounds.
4: No, it's actually pretty, it's actually fairly straightforward and uh, uh, for at least those three platforms. Now, now, I myself as a gamer, I play at least half my gaming myself on tablets and laptops and things and often especially when I'm traveling. And so I'm also uh, devoted to shoehorning it into some of these uh, newer, more powerful tablets and, and, you know, hypothetically even some phones. But, uh, but, w- but we'll see. I mean, I, we went to, the game right now does fit because the game it's hardly a game yet. Uh, but uh, as it gets bigger and more complex, we'll see if I can still hold my line on that. <laughs>
2: Don't even say anything dumb.
4: Not
0: a word. Go ahead, Karana.
2: Go ahead with What? You
1: told me not to say. Word. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I did. Well, Kriana, you work in laptops, or I mean, in in uh, you work in the in the tablet environment, don't you?
2: I do. My company produces games and other applications for iPads and iPhones.
4: All right, excellent.
2: And yeah, we have done sort of an adventure game type thing before. It was fun.
4: So, so which which one do you recommend right now?
2: Uh, What do you mean? I mean, iPads and iPhones, there's, there's like, zero fragmentation. You're you're gonna... No, what product,
4: what product do you recommend right now?
2: What, what, like, game?
4: Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition for the iPad. Ah, So much Okay. Okay. So, I die for RPGs. I love them. (laughs) So, obviously, this, this project is my cup of tea, and I spent years literally years obsessed with Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and never like I still have some of these CDs I don't think I even have a computer that has a CD drive anymore but I don't care I love them so much they're like that favorite book that you never want to give up Um, I don't think
0: you can run that on any of your computers anymore I I know
2: I can't but I will not get rid of them because I love them so much and when Baldur's Gate Extended Edition came out I bought it on everything and I was like oh my god I can't believe I'm playing this game again because as we were talking about before the show not having a computer that would run it again just seriously breaks my heart and when I ever heard that they were doing that project to bring it up to new technology I was literally overjoyed and I don't care how cheesy the graphics are I don't care. I love that. Yeah,
4: even even my first game, you know, I I told you I keep an Apple II running here in my office just so that I can play my earliest games because other you know the machines have otherwise disappeared. Uh, but but even my very very first game, the the Ultima prequel that I called a Calabeth, uh, some users went and uh, ported it over to an iPhone. So you know, iPhone of course is about a billion times more powerful than that original Apple II. So uh, it, it it runs very trivially on an on your phone.
2: I have a couple palm games that got ported to the iPhone. I, like, I just, you know, when you have a good game and you love it, you, you just, it keeps going forward. It just keeps moving with you, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Unless you're from LucasArts, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Poor LucasArts. No, I, I feel bad for LucasArts, because I, I feel like they were working on some, like, really cool stuff.
0: So, Richard, one of, one of the other bombshells that you dropped uh, that we just kind of glossed over... Um, is your fascination with space.
4: Yes indeed, you know um, um, I was very fortunate to uh, grow up uh, right outside the front gates of NASA by about three blocks uh, and uh, at the right period of time where the space program was really just getting going, I'm now 51 years old I have to admit, Uh, and my father was actually a NASA astronaut so my, my father was selected for the Apollo program uh, as a scientist, but actually flew on Skylab, the first orbital uh, space station, and then later on the space shuttle. And in fact, both my next-door neighbors, my right-hand neighbor, Joe Engel, another astronaut, my left-hand neighbor, Hoot Gibson, another astronaut, over my back fence, other astronauts and all the famous astronauts that everybody thinks of—Neil uh, Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, et cetera—they all lived in my neighborhood, and so and, and everybody who lived between all those astronauts were generally scientists and engineers involved in putting those people into space. So I, I kind of grew up just believing everybody went to space because everybody knew went to space, and uh, uh, and so as I so you know while every kid I think grows up either thinking dinosaurs or or space is cool. Um, You know, for me, space got driven a little deeper than for most, so uh, as opposed to growing up and kind of giving up on it and deciding that you should go do more practical things with your life, I always kept saying, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to go to space, dang it. And uh, and as I began to have any level of success in the computer game industry, I began to invest in the privatization of space. So for almost 30 years, I've been, you know, funneling money from profits and games, to trying to find a way to get myself into space and uh, and after a number of unsuccessful attempts I eventually fell in with a group of people that uh, the group of us started companies like the X Prize we paid a 10 million dollar prize for the first private vehicle to fly into space twice of which now Virgin Galactic is building the sequel um, we built a company called Zero G Corp that takes people on Zero G flights on these parabolic flights we even took Stephen Hawking and other people on Zero G flights we, we do that uh, quite regularly and uh, uh, then uh, uh, we also started a company called Space Adventures and we have in the last uh, ten years sent uh, eight flights, uh, seven people to go live for two weeks at a time on the International Space Station. And, uh, and as one of the company's co-founders and with my intent, the whole intent of me becoming one of the co- co-founders of the company, was that I could take myself to space and so uh, as soon as I could uh, sell off you know, most of the rest of the assets of my life And take myself into space. That's exactly what I did. And
0: I've never had an actual person who was in space on the show before. So, how cool is it? Come on, how
4: cool is it? It is as cool as you would think. And by the way, you know, it's still even though we didn't do, even though we've been in space now for fifty years. I'm still only the 483rd person to have left the Earth, so it's such a small number. You actually know what the number is, and uh, uh, and and what I found really amazing about spaceflight is that the two parts you expect to be amazing, launch and reentry, are amazing, but in ways completely different than <laughs> even being so close to space programs I expected. You know, launch you you might expect to be scary and terrorizing in some way, and loud and violent and full of vibration uh but in fact it's quite the opposite when you're on the inside of a a liquid-fueled rocket like the soyuz that i went up on when the engines light up you you don't hear anything and you hardly feel anything and when the vehicle begins to rise Again, it it rises so slowly at first, you can hardly feel it. All you begin to do is you begin to feel yourself slowly sinking more heavily into the seat that you're inside of. And it accelerates faster and faster, and the rate of acceleration increases also. Uh, But it takes about four minutes to reach maximum acceleration. Uh, and uh, uh, and you're pushed back into your seat at about four and a half Gs or so, and then for eight and a half minutes you're sitting there as all of the fuel this this rocket is going away. Uh, and but in eight and a half minutes you've burned you know 95% of the mass of the entire vehicle has been shot out the 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 nozzles on the rocket engines, and the thing cuts off and you're floating beautifully in space. Um, And and the reverse is true too, you know, the re-entering the atmosphere is also again, very silent, very smooth. As soon as you have contact with the atmosphere, immediately a plasma plume builds up around you that is hotter than the surface of the sun and the vehicle begins to melt around you. So literally my, my shoulder is by the window. And so four inches away from my shoulder, it's hotter than the surface of the sun. And you can watch the melting vehicle melting around you, even though it's still perfectly silent, perfectly smooth and perfectly comfortable on the interior. But, uh, but by far the most profound part is just sitting in space, looking out the window back at the amazing Earth that we live on. And you know, not only is one picture, of course, uh, astounding, but, but it's like a fire hose of information about the reality in which we live that is just pouring into your mind. And, uh, uh, and every minute of, and every hour and every day that you spend out that window, you, you feel like your knowledge of the world that we, that we live in just, uh, you know, uh, races higher and higher. Uh, and so it's just an amazing uh, opportunity. Your
0: father actually watched you get launched into space.
4: Yeah, he actually helped me design my mission plan. He helped me board the rocket. He, uh, he ran my mission control team uh, the whole time I was in space for all the experiments that I was working on. And he came out on the rescue helicopters to pick me up right uh, you know, moments after uh, landing back on the Earth. How cool was that? Seriously. I mean. uh, no, that was, that was very cool because uh, it was a chance to really you know, share at a, a very deep level uh, something that uh, you know, few people have, have experienced at all and uh definitely few you know well in fact <laughs> i am me myself as an american and uh, another individual as the first russian we returned from space together as the first two people ever to go to space and back and uh so uh you know our fathers were both there and so it was a great uh, you know russian and american father and son moment uh, as we came back from space second together.
0: generation space travelers
4: yeah we were the first two wow so
0: I, I'm kind of at a loss because. <laughs> Stop I, being I fat- so
2: awesome! You know how hard it is for Dome to be at a loss. <laughs>
4: this like never happens unless it there's boobs. Happens. Hey, but 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 by the way, there, but that's also again what brings us back to where where Tracy and I have done a lot of the stuff together. Um, you know, while Tracy was so kind to let me dive in on his killer breakfasts, uh, uh, you know, down through the years. Um, Tracy, when he was working on a game system once upon a time uh, that I that I don't, don't think you ever published it to uh, into the general public uh, uh, through a, a big publisher yet. But uh, uh, I think you called it Party Flix. And yeah. five or ten years ago, you had given me a prototype box of this Party Flix, and uh, uh, and it, it and it was a, a kind of a, a a play at home. Kind of like a murder mystery party, but in this case, you end up making a movie, and 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 as I was thinking about my trip in space, and I, I kept that I still have literally at my house. Uh, I see it every day when I go home. I see that party flicks box, the prototype I have for ten years of my life. Going, that is a brilliant idea. Someday that just has to get made. And as soon as I thought about myself uh, going up into uh, uh, up into space, I then uh, uh, realized that. Uh, uh, this was the time to, uh, uh, to, to call up Tracy and say, look, I really need you to write me a movie so that when I'm in space, I can one at a time grab my crewmates, take them off into you know, some private corner, take a, a piece of film in one take. And, uh, and by the end, we have made you know, the first science fiction movie ever made in space. And uh, Tracy you know, took up the challenge immediately and wrote a brilliant piece of fiction. Uh, we had a, a, a wonderful time uh, shooting in space, but uh, I'm sure Tracy can tell you more of the detail.
1: Yeah, it was actually that it was it was a challenge. It was really exciting to do. Um, it, it was the we had all kinds of constraints. Of course, we knew that Richard was taking the camera up with him uh, into space to record his uh, the adventure that he was on and the events that were up there. Um, but you know, it's not like you can take much. More in the way of equipment up with you, um, so we developed the whole thing uh, uh, as a PowerPoint program because we knew he was going that uh, the software wasn't going to uh, have any weight to it really, and he was going to be taking a laptop as well. So we designed this um, uh, piece of, of uh, PowerPoint uh, so that it had uh, had the entire script on it in in um, the form of cue cards. So that all he'd have to do is like show them the 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 screen and uh, read this line and, and film it, and uh, we even did a translation of that uh, so that it was both in English and in Russian. <laughs> and, and Richard could tell you more about how all of that worked, but but uh, just you know creating it was so exciting for me. The idea that, that something that that I had worked on, Richard was going to take with him up into space was was an absolute thrill, and I wanted to participate so badly in this in this process. That, that I said you know I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to watch the space the space stations across the sky we're gonna, we're going to go out there and, and we're going to see Richard fly overhead uh, and so I uh, I looked it up and you can do this you can go to the NASA website and it can tell you when you can see this the International Space Station fly overhead. So we figured out the time we figured out the angles figured out the degrees Where to look in the sky at at what time and it was uh, the best time to see it is is right either at dawn or at sunset and uh so my wife and i we got all bundled up it was it was bitter cold and went out uh to the the ridge here by our home so that we could wave at richard as he flew over in the international space station and I said, "Now, honey, it's going to be coming up over here, right about this angle. You'll be able to come over, and and, and we'll, we it'll it'll be moving through the sky. And we've been used to looking at you know uh, at small satellites that uh, were in polar orbit and, and the night sky and seeing them go over. So we were looking for this little tiny pinprick, you know, barely visible uh, kind of thing, as it went over. But what Richard had failed to explain to me." is that the International Space Station is the third brightest object in the sky. And follow, you know, the only two other brighter objects are the sun and the moon. And so, you know, when the International Space Station came up over the horizon, I said, holy mackerel, is that it? Well, yeah, that was it. And it it was moving to see him flying overhead, I can't, I can't explain it. And, and, and to know that my friend was here flying through the heavens like this was, was absolutely astonishing for me. And yes, we did wave, as ridiculous as that is, um, just so that we could feel a part of that. It, it was, it was uh, actually really a, an important experience for me too.
4: And, and the one, something I wanna add in there too is, uh, you know, just going back to the way uh, this all played out uh, in space. Uh, the you know I'm up there there's six of us who are up there the the three I went up with the two that I would come down with a little bit later and one more person who got dropped off by one shuttle and picked up later by a different shuttle and so we'd written them all into the script but the two that I was coming back with the two I came returned to earth with were, were two <laughs> Russian cosmonauts and, and those two uh, cosmonauts uh, came up to me when, after I showed everybody that my plans. I said, "Hey, I'd like to rip you all into this," and they noted something to me, which was that the previous two Soyuz reentries both had significant hardware failures that that added a great deal of of, of you know risk, life-threatening risk into the 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 two reentries just ahead of ours. And they were superstitious enough that when they read through the script and saw that our script included you know, me stowing away on board the space station and not returning with those two, they were completely freaked out by it. And so they said, you know, Richard, you know, I'd love to participate, but we think it's bad luck if we participate in your little film. And so now I'm going like, well, obviously I can't force you. And so, uh, so now I had to do a rewrite while wow, we're in orbit, and you know, Tracy gave me all these great materials, so I had to go back in and you know work on my laptop to kind of restructure bits here and there. And uh, we uh, then we went and filmed it without those two. And then Tracy had to roll with that when we got all the stuff back to the ground. Tracy had to you know with the the the, the digital clips that we had kind of uh, wrapped in as interstitials, he had to go make all these adjustments as well. Uh, but the whole thing worked out beautifully. And even as the story, since they were the story begins with them departing ahead of time, so to speak and uh which was which was what was really supposed to happen in the story so uh so it all worked out perfect
1: i gotta tell you i I don't think i ever told you before but i thought it was a brilliant rewrite on your part by the way oh thank you (laughs) yeah
0: and the title of the film was apogee of fear exactly
4: and where can that be found now it is available right now on YouTube. I've uh, just before we chatted, uh, I looked it up to make sure you could actually find it. You can. Uh, it also will be included on. There's a DVD coming out of uh, the documentary made of my space flight. Uh, it'll be on that documentary as well.
0: Very, very cool. So I mean, you know, you've had a fairly dull life, I guess, for the most part.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's Richard's Richard has Richard's visited the Titanic. He's, uh, he's gone down to uh, the vents at the bottom of the Pacific, haven't you, Richard, if I remember right?
4: Uh, in the Atlantic, actually, close enough. In the Atlantic, that's right. Yep. You've and gone the,
1: to the And the poles, both poles. You, you've um, uh, uh, you looked for meteorites in Antarctica for the yep. science of extraterrestrial life. Yep, yep. And you've been to the International Space Station. You've been up the Amazon, as I remember right.
4: Yeah, in fact, uh, this little group of entrepreneurs actually have not yet been personally to the North Pole. That's my one uh, d- data, my one destination I still need to do. But we have a company that, that well, one of the companies that uh, my group of co-founders made, uh, it's called Quark Expeditions. It's the first company that took nuclear icebreakers to the North Pole. So if you want to go to the North Pole or the South Pole or the bottom of the sea or space, uh, you really have one group of companies to use to do all those things, to do really any of those things. Uh, which is this group of companies that uh, my friends and I have uh, have founded. So, the, for me, one of the interesting things is
1: that this is the guy who really understands adventure. I mean, he's lived it, and and it's that kind of experience that he brings with him into the games that he designs.
4: Yeah, and, and no, understand- that's very true. And, and yeah, and what's interesting about that too is that I often get asked things like, "Well, how is like you know, are you gonna do a game about space flight now that you've been to space?" Um, and i think the inspiration is more tangential than that it's not like you know i can describe some really amazing vignettes of of being you know in antarctica looking at the you know mile long what appear to be mile long frozen waves of 100 meters tall that you, you expect to see you know whales frozen to the interior of this curving it uh, looks like a wave that's been gouged out by wind off of a mountain uh, that are really spectacular but, you know, I wouldn't really build that directly into a game because it wouldn't have, you couldn't do it in a game in a way that would create the same awe. And, but, but having seen things that are that awesome, you know, kind of go, you kind of see, you, you, you reflect on why does that feel awesome to me? Why, and the reasons are things like uh, why it is so outside the norm of what you might see and how much of a journey it was for you to get there. And, the, the, and even a lot of the details associated with those logistics to get there to see that one moment. And those are the things that we take back into the games. We go, okay, how can we set up a, set the stage to uh, allow the player to go on a journey on a struggle and, 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 and often in a way plod through, uh, you know, put in time and or effort and pay attention to details and uh, you know, uh, make sure you've really arranged your adventure correctly uh, to then be able to have this spectacular vista mm-hmm. arrive in front of you.
1: Uh, this yeah. is this is one of the other great <laughs> things.
4: That, well, this is one of the other great things about
1: Shroud of the Avatar. And that it, that, that there have been a lot of the different stretch goals and uh, the different the different levels of participation that have been offered in the Kickstarter program. And, and the Kickstarter uh, projects got what two days to run, I think. Doesn't it, Richard? Three days. Yeah, uh,
4: it ends on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, and, midday Sunday.
1: But one of the great things that, that has been the level of participation that he's asking of some of the, uh, of some of the tiers. I mean, uh, what is it that there's a developer tier, Richard, that we were talking about today?
4: Yeah, and the developer tier I think is a $400 tier. Um, that allows uh, people to both directly contribute into the game, um, as well as as we develop the game, we will return those assets back to those people who, who help contribute to the game. Uh, and so, uh, because by the way, when you're creating an entire world, you know, there's a lot of details to take care of. It's, it's, uh, you know, we used to just tell the story about how in Ultima online, um, you know, 30 people of us sat in a room and made a city the size of Austin, Texas. And then we invited a million people to come in and they all did come in. And, uh, uh and, and the result of that was that, uh, you know, 30 people is not enough to build the world or manage the world once it's live. And so we're, we're letting people join us, so to speak, uh, on the journey of, of, of its creation.
0: The amazing thing is the level of not just funding that you've got right now, because you, you needed a million dollars to fund the, the event. You're, you're at a, almost at a million four right now. But 18,340 backers. And that's the real key that you've got this wide array of people doing $10, $20, $30, $40 pledges uh, who know what to expect when you put a game together and are coming along on the ride with you for it.
4: Yeah, exactly right. And I can't tell you how um, you know uh, honored we are that so many people have uh, already signed up and, and are participating at those levels. We even you know, sold out our original tier of uh, people who are supporting us at $10,000 a person. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're very excited that, you know, people are supporting at a variety of, levels. and the people that are stopping and supporting it at, at a, what I'll call a lower level, which is still a, an amazing level. Um, you know, we're only stopping there because we're going like, Hey, this is really all I can afford today, but I'm, you know, but I'm doing what I can to help you pull off this grand vision. Uh, and
1: I think yeah. everybody on the team, by the way, I think is very cognizant of that, that all of us are very appreciative of, of the support that we've been getting directly from uh, our audience. And, and as a result of that, everybody that's over there is feels a great responsibility to that and wants to deliver the, the absolute best experience that, uh, that's possible.
2: Richard, I love that you have a pirate absolution tier.
1: <laughs> and you know
2: I am a huge pirate but I've never pirated any of your games but I should have
4: Well, you know, you, I, I'll still grant you Absolution if you donate a uh, Absolution donation to our game
2: well I would but I'm already in for founder level
4: oh even better even better
2: <laughs> come on I, I can't so stay away that there.
4: Uh, yeah, did so, I not so. just tell
2: you that I'm a huge fan of Baldur's Gate and RPGs are my thing. Come on,
4: absolutely. Well, that's fantastic to hear. Fantastic. Tracy was like,
2: "Oh my God, game!" and I looked at it and I was like, "Yeah, it's gonna be awesome." It's
0: just,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm done. It's gonna be awesome.
0: Yeah, it is gonna be awesome. And and I mean, you've you've incorporated so much into this particular project. Uh, this is really something to look forward to, for gamers who are heavily into it the way Criane is for occasional gamers like myself. I'm not a gamer.
2: Like, actual gamers cringe when you call me a gamer.
0: Oh, well, you're as close to a gamer as I'm going to get close okay, to. Okay, okay, was... wait,
2: wait, wait. I went to GDC last year, and that was the first time I had heard of Bioshock, but it looked really cool, and then it was really cool, but, like, I'm not a gamer in the in the crazy sense of the word. It's
0: awesome. Never mind. The game is Shroud of the Avatar, Forsaken Values, and Forsaken Virtues. Forsaken Virtues. Damn it! Damn it! I was so good tonight, <laughs> and I didn't—I didn't screw up anybody's name or anything, and then I screwed up the title of the. the <laughs> uh...
1: Listen. Is is that that you Five
4: dollars. You can be absolved.
1: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we want well, everybody to come over to the Kickstarter project if you can. And, it, and and even beyond that, though, come to the shroud of the avatar.com. Absolutely. Because we've st- we're still going to have stuff going on over there.
0: Richard Garriott, Tracy Hickman, guys, what a great hour! Thank you so much.
2: Oh, man, now I'm totally not ready with the music because I was so, like, into what we were talking about. <laughs> that's how you know. Yeah. That's how you know I'm paying attention. If I'm, like, right in with the music, it means I was not yeah. paying attention. Yeah, if I'm caught a- off guard, I'm like, oh, crap, that means I was interested, so.
0: Well, what I'm worried about is this Zombrarian? Are you there?
3: I am here.
0: What <gasps> have we got coming up for the next couple of
2: weeks? No, 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 I'm doing oh, it now. Oh, you're doing it now? Yeah, I'm
3: doing the Fiona's coming going to do it because yeah. I sound like a baby elephant. <laughs>
2: She does. She does. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Next week, we have Mike Doherty and the cast of his new film, Z-Con, to update us on production. And the week after that, on April 20th, we have paranormal romance author H.P. Mallory gets us between the sheets again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sci-Fi
0: Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con and Granite State Comic-Con and Comic Art House. Please... Stop by Comic Art House and say hi to Bob and Kim for the best in art. I've screwed that one up, too. <laughs> I want to thank the guests for joining us tonight, Richard and Tracy. Guys, what an amazing, amazing hour. From the Revere Time Vortex, the Sweetheart of the Soundboard, Kriana, and Grammar Girls on ladies, thank you so much. No, thank Actually, you. Just... What? I don't
3: know. What? I... I feel like we just filmed a Dos Equis commercial with the most. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know, always make
2: podcasts, but when I do, they're
3: awesome. I don't, I don't know. This is Jones saying, "Genie, shared
0: pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy? Good night, everyone." "No,"